On this week's Bet the Process podcast, the long-awaited Rufus finally engaged, and we get Cheetah to join us, the bearded one. It's a long podcast where we talk a lot about college football handicapping, and we go through all the bowls up into uh, Christmas. And if you really stay on long, you'll get to hear a preview of the two playoff games. Then we finally jump into some quick NFL picks. Um, and I think you guys will enjoy this listen, even though it's very, very long. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to a very special Rufus is engaged and we have a guest uh, episode of the Bet the Process podcast. Um, we have Preston Johnson, the Sports Cheetah, joining us um, and Rufus Peabody, as always, is here. Um, but now he's a mister, right? Because you're engaged. Are you a mister now? Is that, is that how it works? Was, what was I before? You were a mister, but now you're a mister. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Good for you. Uh, Preston, uh, greetings. Anything new in your life? Have you become engaged for a second time or anything like that? Uh, yeah, no new wives on this end. Maybe uh, a couple hundred years ago, that was a thing in my parts, but uh, no, <laughs> nothing new in that regard here. It's, uh, it's, it's tough because I have to resist the urge to make a lot of jokes about that, given the fact that you're Mormon. So those people <laughs> it's all good. It's all he's, good. A, he's a more person. This is 2019, a more person. He's a more person. He's a more well, I'm happy for Rufus, though. Marriage isn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be. He'll, he'll enjoy it. <laughs> you don't know that. The odds say that he, the, the odds say, the odds are against you, Rufus, let's be honest. Yeah. Against now? Jeez. Against in, in, in what? How are we defining? Doesn't marriage make people happier or something at the beginning and then they get less happy? I don't know. Oh, Rufus and I were discussing the expected value of a prenup earlier. So um, <laughs> that, was the, that was the topic of conversation for analytics people. Stay who tuned. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into bowls. That's why we have you on, um, Preston, because you know more about college football teams than almost any sports better than I know. And I think you know important things. Uh, how do you approach the bowls? How is it potentially different than um, any of the other ways that you handicap? What, what are the different ways that you, you look at the bowls? Uh, so I think in general, my approach isn't that different. You know, I'm generally looking at a ton of different variables, but the main thing is I'm looking for my projection and a discrepancy in the market and my projections. And as long as it lines up, then I'm generally going to be betting those. Uh, so my approach doesn't really change, but we have a lot more factors that you have to take account for in bowl season. A lot of it has to do with coaching changes. Uh, there are interim coaches taking over. There's also a subset of those interim coaches that are hired officially going forward. We'll talk about a few of those. There are some that are only coaching the bowl game. They're going to be hiring different guys going forward. Uh, there are players that are resting because that's become a thing. I think since – like Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette started this fad a few years ago, uh, but a lot of the NFL caliber guys are just taking the bowl season off. They can prep for the NFL, make sure they stay healthy, uh, which I think is totally fine, but you have to obviously account for, for some of that. And, you know, I think in general, the, there's a little bit of differences in, in travel and, and things like that. So there are also some conferences that generally perform worse than other conferences come bowl season or at least have in, in recent years. And so sometimes you want to at least, at least account for some of that. But uh, my approach isn't really any different. It's just that I think there's a lot more randomness and variance in general 
in bowl season. And so you just have to make sure that you're uh, accounting for it all. When will you let something subjective? So I assume that on these coaching changes, things like that, you don't have anything necessarily analytical built into your models to, to look at that kind of stuff or so, so do you? That's a good question, actually. I think yesterday or the day prior, Bill Conley actually wrote a piece for ESPN. He wanted to look back and see what the ATS record was historically in bowl games where there was an interim head coach. Uh, now, he graded them against the closing line, which, uh, no surprise, it was like 23, 24, and 1. So basically a 50-50 proposition, which in general, the closing line when you're testing a lot of things is going to be about 50-50 as the sample size grows. Uh, but if you go back and actually looked at you know when the openers were, if you're able to get ahead of some of those moves against, in some cases, interim head coaches taking over for a sole game, then I think there was actually edges that can be found. Um, so a lot of it's just dependent on our market entry and whatnot. But I'm never going to just blindly bet against a coach or a team um, because, like, for example, we'll get to SMU for Atlantic later. Uh, on the show, but you know, Lane Kiffin's gone. He's going to Ole Miss. I'm not blindly betting SMU because of that, um, but it certainly doesn't help the side if you think SMU's the right side, regardless. So, do you, do you think? I mean, you are seeing big moves in bowl game season in general, but I wouldn't think that. You know, I mean, let's say let's say you get an av- Let's say every all these interim head coach games moved three points. I mean, that's still not going to affect the ATS record that that much, right? Sure. Right. Yeah. You're growing. I I don't know if he didn't actually do this in his article and I haven't gone back and looked at those 28 games, but if let's say they moved on an average of three points yeah, 23, 24 and one is maybe like 25 and 23, right? Maybe there's two games that it swings. Maybe, but maybe it's like one and a half. So yeah, it's not a huge swing, but I think it just in general, it's a good indicator for people to realize like, the value and the edges that can be had, whether it be bowl season or really anything you're betting are going to be getting ahead of those line moves, not betting before tip off or kickoff. Um, so in general, while we're trying to say, is there anything to be had betting against interim head coaches, I guess the closing value, no, or excuse me, the closing line, no, but uh, I think there can be value in certain instances. You just have to get in earlier than right before kickoff. So are you saying when you say there's value in certain instances, and these are instances that the market perceives because you're saying get in earlier. What what sort of separates those instances from just the general um, instances of of having an interim head coach? Yeah, I should I could have clarified that a little bit better. So in certain instances, meaning like when I think there's an edge because my number's higher, anyways, that I'm generally going to just be betting those because I'm going up against an interim head coach anyway. So like I think one example is Penn State, Memphis. Mike Norvell's left Memphis. Uh, I think it's Silverfield's the guy who's taking over. He's like the offensive line coach, if I recall. Uh, he was an interim head coach for the last like eight or nine days. And then yesterday he was named the official coach going forward. So he's no longer even an official interim head coach. Uh, but I think Penn State should be a double-digit favorite. And so I like minus six and a half anyway. So when it lines up, I think this is an instance where there is value betting against a, an interim head coach. Uh, granted, yesterday that changed because they offered him a full-time gig. Um, but those I'm just talking about, those are the instances where there can be value. Now, if this, whether this closes above seven or not, we'll see. Granted, there's still a few days or maybe even weeks until that game's played. Um, but for me, that's, that's what I mean, is there's going to be certain spots where I think the numbers line up with betting against the interim head coach. And if I was to go through those 28 games and compare them, um, then I think there would be some value in, in those cases. Well, you, you mentioned that there's more variance in bowl games. Do you think there's also more variance in bowl games with an interim head coach? And does that affect how much um, each point is worth of, of sort of line value for, in your handicapping? Yeah, it does. And it's also going to vary depending on the total in each game as well. I believe uh, my colleague Chris Felica was just tweeting about this yesterday. I don't have it pulled up, but off the top of my head, 
He was going bowl games dating back, I think, since 2008, so the last 10 seasons or 11 seasons. Um, just blindly betting underdogs, you're hitting 52%. It's like 208 and 190 or something in that range. Uh, but of those 208 underdogs that have covered, 73% won outright, uh, which I think speaks to the variance in bowl games and value and looking at at least a portion of your wager potentially on the money line, uh, 73%. I didn't go through all of those instances. I just read his tweet and check to see what the money lines were relative to the point spreads, if they were a lot of double-digit dogs, and that's obviously an extremely high number, uh, or if they were all like one to three, then it's not maybe as surprising. Um, but in general, I think that's going to be high. Uh, so I, I think that, that speaks to, you know, that's since 2008, that speaks to some of the variance. And, and I think, you know, I try to do the same thing early, betting money line dogs that I think early in the season there's more variance because people just don't have as much information on teams. A lot of non-conference matchups, uh, a lot of coaches and players trying out new things, right? So uh, I think it's similar to that where if you're betting money line dogs, not blindly, but in spots you think there's value, then it's going to pay off more often than I think betting money line dogs in, say, like week 13. Interesting, because, I mean, obviously, obviously like more variance – will equal more value on the dogs. But I would say with that 72% of underdogs winning outright, I would think, I mean, you just don't generally don't see a lot of high spreads in bowl games because all these teams, like, you know, they try to match pretty match teams up pretty evenly. I mean, obviously when you have like um, a Mac team against like a conference that doesn't suck as much, you're not going to have that. But Yeah. There's a few of those. Think of another, could, you can even well, think of they don't, so that was not an effective analogy. Well, no, they don't play the power five, but like against a mountain West, like a Kent state, Utah state type situation. Right. Right. Sure. That's what I think. Like app state plays as a UAB. Uh, you have Marshall playing UCF. Those are games that are like 16, 17 point spreads. Obviously underdogs aren't winning 73% of the time in those cases. So yeah, it would be interesting to dig in a little more to his tweet or those games and see, you know, what the practicality of it is as far as how, how what was the average point spread of the dog that was winning outright and compare it to, you know, the regular season. Um, but in, in theory, I think, you know, as far as just the, the logic of it, it, it does make some sense. Right. I mean, I've always, you know, uh, you mentioned a dog covering or winning outright in week 13. I, I'm guessing you said that because you believe that a, let's say you have a 13 point dog in week 13, they're less likely to win overall than a 13 point dog in week one. Would that be, is that, yeah, I think the market's a lot sharper in week 13 than it would be in week one. What's interesting, though, is when I've looked at this, there isn't really much more variance at all um, later in the season in college football. I mean, I think we, we know more about these teams for sure. Um, and the mar- I mean, the market knows more, but at the same time, um, at the same time, there's still – I mean, which, which actually makes it interesting, like sort of counterintuitive that there isn't more variance later on in the season and sort of that cover rate. You- we should talk and look at the compare our databases in that regard. And I think it's the same for NFL. I'm pretty sure weeks one through three in the NFL, uh, very similarly, Moneyline underdogs are winning at a higher rate than they would later in the season. Um, anyway, we, we should compare because I have different numbers in that. So, right. I mean, I think if you look at Moneyline dogs, I mean, that's – I'm looking more just at the overall variance and assuming that the vari- – you know, because that's – I model it based off of that. So, if – you could have a situation where money line dogs are winning more, but there's still less variance. And I would guess that would be more noise, right? Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. Because, yeah. I mean, cause it, it isn't just about whether a 13 point dog wins outright. It's how often a 27 point dog, you know, makes it only a six point game. Right. A right? one score game or something. Exactly. I mean, I, yeah. So I think that's kind of, I mean, that's, that's what I try to look at 
for I that. Mean, but Rufus, what you're what you're highlighting, and this is the you know, like this is the general problem I have with people like you know obviously Chris Felica knows a lot about college football and um, but the tweets that um, try to indicate some form of analysis on some trend from an analytical standpoint, but are very very uh, shallow in terms of depth of analysis. Those are the ones that kind of bother me because you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, well, why, if I like a dog, then I should just bet the money line, right? Well, I mean, that's it's hard. It's true. You know, with a tweet, you have only like what two hundred and so many characters. characters that's what it is, right? So, I mean, it's not like you can go in depth in a tweet. Fine. So you're saying it's just Twitter is the problem, like everyone else says. You Twitter. can make more tweets. I've I've done plenty of threads in my time yeah. on the site. Yeah. I just think shallow analysis, uh, shallow analytics analysis is almost like worse than no analytics analysis at all because it's like pseudo intellect. Anyways, let's move on. Let's start jumping into the games. Oh, the first we, game were having, on- we were having such a great conversation, Jeff. Everybody always says on Twitter like that, that we, we're, I'm getting, you know, we're having this great analytical conversation and then suddenly Jeff's like, ah, oh, people don't want to hear that. No, I mean, I think that there is a very interesting conversation that you're having about how to figure out whether there is value in the money line versus, um, you know, the, the, like, or, or actually what you were saying, which is, is there more variance, um, in, uh, bowl games? Therefore, is there always more value on a money line underdog or is there more value? Like what, what my problem with you, Rufus, obviously there's, I have a lot of problems with you personally, but <laughs> In this case, we're getting to the good stuff. What is what is the actionable information from this, right? So, if you say there's more variance in money in in uh, bowl games, is that just saying like, okay, well then you should just bet the underdog, or you should not bet teasers, or what? What is what is I mean, the what, what can I, I take away from that? I think a way of thinking of things. I don't think our podcast is just about what people are. You know, we're not giving it. We're, we're we're not a picks podcast per se. I mean, we're not all about just no, actionable I mean, information. We're about people understanding how to think. And I think if you think about thinking about the variance and thinking about how that affects the money line, like if there's more uncertainty in a game, then you expect more extreme outcomes, which means which should change how you sort of price alternate point spreads and money lines. And so I think it's something interesting to think about. And I think the sort of the theory that, that there is more uncertainty early in the season so that, so that, um, so these extreme events should happen more often, um, is a very interesting one. And one that I've, um, that makes a lot of sense. And in, I found it's interesting that in some sports, it, it the data doesn't actually um, necessarily back it up or not back it up to the the extent that um, I think that popular perception um, is. Okay, so that was what you said was actionable at some level, right? You're yeah. Saying that there's two things that are actionable about it, right? One, if you are looking at you know, there's more variance in the beginning of the season than there is in the second, the, the end of the season. Maybe that's something someone can test for, and we can know, and that that would be interesting. And there, therefore, you would think spreads generally would get smaller throughout the course of the season. Um, and then the second thing is in bowl games, is there simply more variance, um, which would mean that, all, like as you said, alternative point spreads might be priced incorrectly, and or teasers might not have as much value. Maybe those are two actionable things, right? Yeah. I'm not saying that, like, in intellectual conversations aren't interesting. I would just like to bubble them down into what's actionable about them. What's in, okay, so I just pulled this up, queried uh, against the spread difference for weeks one to three in college football. Um, this is like going back to 2004, I believe. Um, and so I'm using different line sources depending on the 
Like I think the lines that I have before 2007 are not closers. And after 2007, I think it's penny closers. So um, it's uh, weeks one to three, 15.36 weeks, 12 to 14, 15.69, which is interesting. And maybe, I mean, maybe I need to be a little more nuanced in terms of how I look at that. Um, and maybe there are some certain instances where you will get, where the variance will change, I think, but. I think my, my main, uh, not argument, but just point is that if, if I think a 10 point dog has value in week two, I think I'm going to be right more often than if I think a 10 point dog has value in week 13. Right. So that also correlates to the money line and the fact that just the market's going to be sharper in week 13, the chances of me being right in week two, maybe are better in the, in the variance is going to be wider and the results distribution is going to be wider. And therefore I'm going to take the money line in week two more often than I would in week 13. Uh, but I still need to like generally have perception or perceive there to be an edge in the first place. It's nothing I'm just blindly doing. Um, so if it's like when you take a sample set query from 2004, um, I'd like to query, you know, from 2004, although I wasn't even betting in 2004, but you know, of the games that I liked weeks one through three and showed an edge versus the games I showed an edge in later weeks during the season, rather than just the blanket, you know, market as a whole. That makes sense. And I think overall, I mean, I think, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think the edges are bigger early in the season across all sports. Yeah. The market is less. Yeah. Would you agree, Jeff? Well, I was about to say that I, you know, obviously I know a lot of what Preston bets and I think that you tend to bet a lot more at the beginning of the season in every sport than you do as the season goes on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my volume for college football, I'll go from probably averaging 21 or 22 pregame bets in the first half of the season to more like 10 or 11. It probably cuts in half, you know, the back half of the season. So that's one example. I don't bet the NBA very much after the all-star break. Uh, That's another example. I don't bet MLB as often. Um, once like June, July hit. So it definitely goes uh, without saying. Do you still, do you have the same issue with beating MLB in July that I do? So, I just yeah, quit even trying. I, I honestly, yeah, for like a few years in a row, I just got beat up. I just stopped doing it. And I thought, I think a lot of my edge that's even left if it exists in, in major league baseball, because it is really sharp is just identifying pitchers that have uh, zero or close to zero data that are either coming up from the minors or just a few spot starts and just that's my edge. But then after two months, you know, that's basically gone anyways. Um, so that's, that's essentially what I key in on now when I'm betting baseball, but yeah, July's were just brutal for a few years in a row. And I just, I kind of just, yeah, I lost touch with like, I was like, all right, I'll just going to take a month off, start prepping for football and call it a day. But that is consistent. How, you know, finding value in guys without a lot of data is very consistent with finding edges early in the season. It's saying that the market yes, doesn't yeah. know how to price, um, price guys with, yeah, without a lot of data. And so the edges there, by the way, um, there is just querying like weeks 15 onwards, um, which my weeks aren't always exactly the same way that college football. Well, it's definitely not the way the college football playoff defines weeks. I don't know how they do it, but um, anyway, uh, standard deviation 16.84. Um, and yeah, so which is way, way higher than, yeah, than interesting. college football regular season. So, um, so back to bowls. Do you think that the market – um, have you noticed that the market, in terms of pricing money lines, um, prices them any differently for bulls than than the regular season? Do they do they are they aware of this essentially? Actually, comparing the prices, no. I mean, you look the money lines are going to vary a little bit depending on the totals in each of the games, but I haven't noticed a change, which maybe speaks to the point that it's mostly noise. Uh, it could be, uh, but I mean, you, you just queried since I don't know if that was since two thousand four as well. Two thousand four, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's at least. 
there's something potentially there. And it's, uh, I think ultimately for me, and, and because I believe that there is more variance and randomness in bowl games, I actually tend to caution on be on the side of caution and it's later in the season. There's a lot that is just tough to, to figure out. So my volume in the bowl season isn't very high. Um, so if I was to just look at the games where I do see edges in bowl season and look at compare those money lines versus the average, you know, money line price in the regular season, that's something I could do pretty quickly. Maybe I'll start tweeting about it after we do the podcast, but uh, I would be curious to see if money lines have adjusted much. Yeah. I mean, I personally think it, it, the added variance in bowl games is real, you know, but also the other thing I found overall in bowl games is that, um, essentially there's more regression to zero, like a to priors, not, not even to priors, just to, to a even game. Meaning like a team that would normally be like, let's say a 25 point favorite might only would only be expected to win by oh, 20 sure, or something sure. like that. And I found, and what's interesting, this is, I guess where the sort of art comes in. I forget what the numbers were. I, I had, I, I had this like last season, but I think it was something like the spread historically in bowl games has only been like, I mean, teams have only, or, or using my numbers, uh, my power ratings, um, we only expect to see sort of 85% of that difference. I think it might have even been less than that um, in a bowl game, which, you know, right, 100% means that a 10-point favorite should be win by 10. 85% means a 10-point favorite, well, I'm only expecting them to win by 8.5. So, um, obviously, you don't have nearly the sample size of bowl games that you do a regular season game. So, it's like how much do, how do you – how much do you sort of regress – how do you combine those two, right? How much, how much of that is sort of signal and how much is just is noise that you don't expect to continue? That's interesting. That's higher than I would have guessed too. I, I think, yeah, like if it's 83% or something, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty significant then because, and it obviously depends on uh, like which key numbers it could potentially be around, whether that's, you know, the difference between a 10 and a half and an eight and a half or whatever. But uh, yeah, that's intriguing. I would, I would say that that also kind of speaks just like you're saying, kind of the variability as well with dogs or just if everything's kind of regressing towards zero, then they're going to more often than not, at least compared to the regular season, have a chance at winning the game outright. Uh, whether or not the prices are um, or that's impacting the prices yet, we'd have to, to double check on those. But my guess is that it hasn't really affected prices. I haven't noticed it. Then you brought it up and I was like, okay, I'll have to check. So uh, yeah, that's very inter- interesting. I think it totally, I mean, look, I mean, if you look at the bowl game slate, I mean, you see teams like, you know, Alabama and Michigan, what would that spread be during the regular season? Like a lot more, right? Sure. I mean, it'd be double. I feel like there's a lot of those. Everyone was healthy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also, sure. but that's not just the bowl effect, right? That's also the, well, yeah, the, the, the two, two uh, out, but the three receivers that are like Mel Kuyper's top, whatever, six receiver board, and they might not even play. So there's, there are a little other, few other factors there. So, so that's that, I mean, obviously the teams that are the better teams are likely to have more guys sitting out because they have and more NFL yeah. prospects, but you didn't really see this. I mean, I'm looking 2004 to the present. Well, I mean, like so Penn State Memphis is like more of an example of that, right? Because Penn State Memphis is a game that if they played during the regular season, Penn State would probably be a double digit favorite, right? I, I'm curious what Bruce's number is on that. I, I had another, I have someone else that was closer to where the market is. Um, he was very high in Memphis most of the season. I, I talk with him pretty regularly, but I was I was like ten point seven or something. So wow. I was quite a bit higher. And I bet against Penn State probably three times this season. So it wasn't like I was uh, very pro Penn State. Uh, I just I was surprised. Um, anyway, yeah, I, you, you I might only, be under ten though. I only make it five. Yeah, surprisingly. There you go. Hey, I have a question for you guys. Now this is a recap of um, the last game of the regular season army navy 
And we all talked about how we all liked Army in that game because the numbers we had were significantly lower than, you know, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. And obviously the, the backup quarterback had some impact on this. Maybe, maybe not. Dr. Bob released something that said that he made the line 17 for Navy. So what it's crazy to me because that analytical systems could be that different. Hmm. Is any ideas where that difference might come from? Well, he probably maybe had a better measure of the quarterbacks. After our podcast, I read up on the quarterback situation. It turns out like Army's had like four quarterbacks injured this year. And it's like yeah. they've had It was a third awful... stringer that played. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so – and, and they had been dealing with that large – I mean, during the season. Um, there, were, there were games that, that – um, God, now I'm gonna mess. Now I'm gonna mess up his name again. Kelvin Hopkins, yeah, because I kept th- I keep thinking Kelvin Sampson after after Jeff. <laughs> but um, there were games that he played and was he didn't play, and there were games he played and he wasn't 100. percent But I mean, 17 still seems kind of like a lot to me. Um, and maybe he maybe he's got he isn't he doesn't have priors as strong or weighted at all. How um, much? How much Rufus do you like a game that's option versus option? I mean, you're probably it's probably all automated for you anyways like there's so few possessions in an option versus option game. Like there's just no way a fair spread could be 17 in that game. Like, I, I don't know if Dr. Bob just was like my rap projection 17, but he's not accounting for like compressing the fact that there are going to be fewer plays, fewer possessions, but I mean, it's just tough for, I mean, you, I, you, know, you go back and there were a bunch of like the ATS, uh, not ATS, but the over unders you go back. It's like, it was the, the last 39 or like 34 and five to the under in that matchup. You That's go crazy. back since, since uh, Jeff Munkin took over at Army, which was five or six years back, every game was seven points. The margin of victory is seven points or less. Uh, it, it, so, yeah, for it to be 17 in a game that you're going to have, you know, five possessions on each side, maybe pushing seven, like, on the high end, like, it's just tough to, to cover 17. Only, only five possessions per team? What, what was the what was the what was the ending? I mean, Army went three and it out. Wasn't like a lot, right. Army went three and out every time after the first drive, which didn't help that game script. But on average, Army's going to have like six to eight minute drives a good portion of the time, and they just didn't. No, you're right. I mean, and I have um, I had Army projected it. I mean, their sort of fundamental um, play number is ten plays less than less than um, average, and or ten point two, and Navy's is negative ten. Or ten less than average, Similar. also. So I mean, well, what's interesting? So let, let's say I want to just as a, I want to kind of see how that changes the spread. So if I had said if I'd had a spread of ten, ordinary like a spread that is ten with that number, if I turned those teams into like a plus plus tens on plays each, um, what my number would go to? Uh, um, Twelve and a half. I'd be interested to see. Let's see. Well, actually, it turns out by manually altering these cells, I make it so the formula doesn't work anymore. That's funny. That's so, but but it, I agree, it makes a huge difference there. But I, I would think that the reason he was so high on Navy had to largely be based off of some player stuff. I mean, because if you just went off of, like, I mean, Preston, what what would what would you make that number just based on how the teams played during the season? Even if you know waiting, let's say with no prior, and you waited. My number, I think I actually messaged Jeff. He asked me while you guys were recording your last podcast. My number was exactly 9.0. And that's, you know, trying to account for everything at hand. That was with Hopkins as starting quarterback. Army, I mean, I bet him against Hawaii and they got blasted. Their defense just way too many holes. Uh, Hawaii was able to throw all over them, but then even defensively against Perry, who just ran all over them. They just just weren't as good defensively. They lost their defensive coordinator this offseason. Um who had been awesome with Jeff Munkin for four or five of the seasons. He left to, I'm totally spacing on where he went, 
to take over and his new gig and the army's defense just completely you know fell off and so that was a team i was generally adjusting against you know every week or two uh, pretty significantly so that might have been why i was more like nine anyways closer to market i believe you were like between four and five um, yeah four and a half. i think i think the biggest situation there and then we can move on to the actual bull games this is gonna be a long podcast but uh outside of hopkins it was that army's defense was just remarkably worse this season compared to the last four or five and that's something that you're probably right that i'm not it properly accounting for um because my priors don't necessarily what, know that. So what? Do you like going into the season, you, uh, so I can tell you what I, where I had Army in terms of uh, their defensive number going. Um, sure. Or, or I can, I, let, let's see where Army rated with just the sort of hybrid number. Sorry, by hybrid, I mean it's, it's, a, um, it's in season only, except it uses, it uses priors to help um, determine strength of schedule stuff because I use it during the middle of the season. So with that, I have Army ranked 81st with a defense of three and a half points worse than average, um, including priors. I have them rated 72nd with the defense that is 0.2 points better than average. So their defense is obviously like, I mean, and I think that comes in that, that obviously is, is influenced largely by the fact that preseason, I had them the number 57 team, um, in the country. And although I had their defense projected it being, um, being, Oh, sorry. Negative is in this case. Sorry, I was wrong. So, I had their defense slightly, like, slightly worse than average, 0.2 points worse than average. But still, I mean, I, I didn't think they were going to have a I, – I had their defense slightly better than average going into the season. But It's like a three-and-a-half to four-point swing. Eh, 0.2. The, the, prior, the, prior, the, the prior makes the swing, yeah, about, about three points. Okay. What, what percentage, uh, if you don't mind sharing with everybody – what percentage of your priors do you weigh into like a number, say week 15 in this case, or you know, late, like at the end of the college football season? You know, I can't really tell you because that's not the way I do things. It's, it, it, as you alluded to before, it is kind of automated and it's, okay. um, and it's in a way it's comparing apples and oranges because the way I have the prior scaled is different than the way I have the end season um, at least. And then it eventually becomes scaled the same way, but I can't, I can't just query it. So it, that's yeah, fine. I mean, priors are more at this point, more just for, about roster talent, right? I'm sure it's the same with you. It's it's less about how good a team played last year at this point, like is it than it is about it's general talent. And for me, I do a coaching thing, but yeah, or coaching yeah. staff. Yeah, yeah. You gotta right. just, you gotta share your goal? coaching staff stuff with me next year, so I don't keep betting on Army. <laughs> there we go. Or Rutgers. Or, Ru- or yeah. Rutgers. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's do the Bulls. So Bahamas Bowl, Bahama Bowl, Thomas Robinson Stadium, Nassau, Bahamas, Charlotte is a six and a half point underdog to Buffalo from the Mac. And the total in that game is now 51 and a half. I know that Preston um, is on the under in this game, but from up around the neighborhood of, of 55 and a half, 56, um, that has come down. Um, what, why, why, why did that come down? I guess, why did you like the under and why do you think it's come down so much? So in a normal game, not played in the Bahamas with like 28 mile per hour winds on deck, I think 56 is probably close to fair. Um, but it wasn't in this case, 28 mile per hour winds, 50% chance of rain, uh, 76% humidity, which I haven't done a ton of testing on the actual threshold for humidities and affecting totals. Maybe Rufus has, but I imagine if it's really humid, 
they're not going to be picking up the pace. Uh, these are both two teams that are top 20 in run frequency anyway. They're both outside the top 100 in seconds per play. Uh, Buffalo, they're number seven. They allow 2.9 yards per carry in the country. You know, that's generally against max schools, but Charlotte's pretty comparable to a max school. Uh, they rank 88th in ground success rate. Uh, and then Charlotte, on the other side, and I think this is why the number's a little bit higher than my, my raw projections, like more like five, uh, but they're 122nd in the country in rushing success rate. Uh, and Buffalo has a pair of sophomore running backs that have rushed for like 2,500 yards and 25 TDs. So I think the edge, as far as the X's and O's go, goes to the Buffalo side. Um, so I'm not surprised it's a little bit higher than my projection, but I'm not getting involved with Charlotte. The play was under, but I also, uh, yeah, you wouldn't be chasing it now at 51 and a half. Interesting. I, I have humidity in my database, but I haven't actually um, done anything looking at that. I would think the wind, I mean, I would think, it, yeah, um, I would guess the combination of heat plus humidity and com- even need, you know, if it's a humid 40 degree game, it's going to be very different than a humid 80 degree game. But is there, sure, is there sure. a possible ability here, Preston, that this line move is, is too much, given the fact that you said these are two running teams anyways? And if you had 56 as sort of a fair line and, and regular conditions, now you, you know, have a, a teams that skew towards run anyways. And so w- will it really have a four and a half, five point um, impact on the total or should it? Yeah, I think, I think 51 will be fair. And it even hit 51 at Chris right before we hit record and someone instantly bought it back up to 51 and a half. So I'm, I'm not sure if that was someone that just overbet the unders because of the weather knew, knowing it was going to go down uh, or if they actually liked the over anyway at 51. Um, but I think that's kind of the bottom of the barrel. And if this actually happened in this game last year, I believe it ended up moving like a full seven points to the under. And if I recall, there were 43 points scored in the last 20 minutes. And on that final score, I went over the majority of the numbers. So you actually lost. Um, it was a bad was UCF playing or USF? Was it USF? It might have been USF or – I can look real quick. Is this was, the Popeye's Bowl? might have been – no, it was Bahamas Bowl. So it might have been – it was FIU Toledo. Oh, that Popeye's And it was. It was, it. It, it was – there was 29 points in the fourth, 43 points in the last 21, 37. Yeah, so uh, in general, it was looking good last year, and then it just went crazy late. That happens in bowl games. But uh, I think 51 is going to be more or less the, the fair price for the total. Rufus, do you have anything in this game? Um, I have – let's see. Yeah, I took a little um, plus seven and plus seven and a half juiced on Charlotte. Got it. Uh, it yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a rare it's a rare bet um, against a MAC team here, even though which apparently I should be doing a little more of because Chris Felique, I saw the the thread that he tweeted out. I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was this morning about um, about how certain teams have done in in bowl games, and I know that the MAC has been. Um, let's see. In the last three years, they're two, two and fifteen straight up in bowl games, and three and eight against the spread over the last two years. Small sample, but Small in sample. general, it, the MAC's been really bad. And this is a year everyone's been talking about the MAC being worse than ever. And people, I think, have kind of forgot about that. We're going to get into a few other games, but as a whole, I think the MAC as an aggregate is is worse than they've been in years past. They don't have a team that's borderline, you know, reputable or I was going to say elite. Uh, that's obvious, but um, I mean. We're going to get to like CMU is in the title game. They were one in eleven last year. I think that yeah. speaks to the lack of talent in the MAC as a whole. So, do you think um, the fact that the MAC has struggled in bowl games over the years? Do you think that just people have overvalued that people have thought that the MAC is better than it was, and that's something that's persistent? Because um, I know it's the same thing with the Pac-12, right? Or, or do you think it is there? Is it just that they don't prepare as well for bowl games? Is it like maybe what the timing of their final exams? I've never like is there is there any reason? 
So I think there's one logical explanation. Uh, the main thing is that it's could still be noisy and it's a small sample. The one, I mean, the Pac-12 is in the same boat. Uh, I, I made a note here. We're going to get to a, a Pac-12 game potentially later. Um, but over the last year, three years, the Pac-12 is four and seventeen and one against the spread in bowl games. Favorites are one and nine and one. Um, so you could say it for the MAC. You could say it for the Pac-12. The thing for me with the MAC. Uh, and there's examples like Brom went to Purdue, uh, PJ Flack, the guy that was uh, at uh, was it Western Michigan went to, yeah. to Minnesota. They, if there's anybody worth a damn in that conference that's good at coaching, uh, not only is the team really good in the MAC for a couple of seasons, but then they're snatched up by better programs, either to be a top-notch assistant or to be a head coach in another program. Uh, that's going to hurt your team. That kind of goes to the is betting against interim head coach profitable or not. I just think in general, if you don't have your coach and he's that good at coaching, then it's going to be rough. And the, you know, the max in that spot generally once or twice a season, it feels like for the last five or six years. But, but we see that interim head coach, you're only 23, 24 and one against the spread. Gets the closing line. Against the closing line. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, it's probably not going to be that different against. Yeah. Like, we talked about that. I need to, I need to go back and see on Bill's games. If we had bet the openers against those spots, like how they would have fared. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think you can include much from, from 47 games, though. Some no, you can't least, either way, but that, that's the one sense. thing that I think in general, the Mac's worse than the opponents they're playing, obviously, more often than not anyway. But uh, if they're losing their coach and it's that good of a coach where I think this, the drop-off is maybe more significant, um, we could go back in that the, the interim head coach thing wasn't just Mac schools, right? We could go back and look right. at in the, in the Mac schools cases. Maybe it is eight and two, right, betting against them or something. But you think? Do you think it's the fact that these teams have like winning records and stuff somehow gives them a little more respect in the market than would, they should yet? I would hope not. I mean, at this like, point, you would think you would recognize if a team has nine wins in the MAC, they're not that good still. <laughs> or like CMU's eight and five, I think, right? Right. Uh, I don't know. I I would say no to that. At this point, the market's got to be. But are there more? Is that public perception playing a role more often in bowl games because people are just trying to bet bowl games for fun? It's the holidays. I'm not sure. That that stuff's kind of up in the air for me. Yeah, it's. Do, do you think that? Here's the question. Then, do you think that the MAC will continue to perform worse against the spread than, um, well, in five hundred? Yeah. Uh, in in this, and not just this year, but in subsequent years. I looked at this. I looked at this last night. I believe they're in. Is it six or seven bowls this season? This season, I would bet three or four or worse. Um, but long term, I, I absolutely have no inclination that it's going to continue. Okay. Should we move on to Kent State, Utah State? Sure, yeah, let's move on to that. Um, in that game, I think it's interesting, right? We just have the three players cleared for marijuana, whatever, and, and playing. And the obvious one that's important there is Jordan Love. There was some thought that he might come out. Since he's coming out early, he might not play in this game, but it seems like he's going to play. So what do you guys make of that line? It's six and a half and 67 right now. Rufus, you can go ahead. I think didn't okay. you have a play in this game anyway? Originally, I had a play. Um, that line has moved down um, a lot. Like I got it at nine and a half, and I make the line um, only four. I'm very low on on Utah State this season. They've just. I was looking back at my game grades. They've only been. They've been. They've Utah State's been graded positively on five of them. Kent State only on one, which is their last um, their last game where um, I believe that was against Central Michigan, right? Or no. I'm not sure. Oh, no. Sorry. I'm, no, I'm thinking of Central Michigan being positive their last game. Sorry. Um, but they, um, Utah State has lost um, – well, they 
three of their last five games have been like really bad, like sixth percentile bad. Like they lost 31 to seven at Air, to Air Force, 42 to 14 to BYU, 56 to 21 to Boise. Um, their average, their average game grade has been a negative 7.4. Um, my numbers with a standard deviation of 13. So that's a, that's a high standard deviation overall. Um, it, it is at least based on the ones I was querying up. Whereas Kent's been average of negative 10.4 standard deviation, negative nine. Um, so overall, um, I haven't had Kent that much worse than Utah state. And, um, I think the big thing is also like Utah state has kind of trended a little bit down and it's been influenced by sort of three real clunkers of games. So I think that, um, oh, those three last six, not three last five, but, um, and unfortunately I'm on a, a Mac team here. <laughs> no, I think this is a good example of a game that kind of brings like all these constant bowl season questions. Like how do you account for all the extra variables and potential variants and randomness? And like on top of the fact that their best player quarterback Jordan loves declaring for the NFL draft, then the marijuana possession stuff with him and a couple other players yesterday, they're all slated to play still, but now you're like trying to quantify, or I should say you're trying to figure out like how focused are they if they're doing this stuff a couple of days before their bowl game, but how do you actually quantify focus? I mean, you can't, um, but this is one of those games where, you know, I said in general, when I think there are these extra variables in play that for me are just tough to quantify, I generally just pass. So for me, uh, I totally just took a back seat. Uh, I think if everyone was healthy, full slate, I'm higher than four. I'm, I'm above, I think I'm like 8.1 actually. So, I mean, at four and a half yesterday, I thought that was a little too extreme. And now it's been bought back up to six and a half most spots. Uh, but I didn't get involved at all. I think this could go either direction. And I can root you on with your uh, plus nine and a half. Excellent. All right, let's move on. Um, uh, Central, we're are we Central Michigan, San Diego State? Yeah, we're Central Michigan, San Diego State. San Diego State's minus three and a half. 41 and a half is the total. The New Mexico Bowl in Dream Style Stadium in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I can take this one. I, so I did bet San Diego State at minus three and a half. I'm not sure. And this, we talked about the Mac and, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more here. But, uh, you know, the memory, I think, I don't know if it's just a fresh on people's minds. Last year, the Aztecs played Ohio, a Mac school. And San Diego State lost 27-0, which just like never happens in Mac games. So I don't know if that's part of the reason. My projections, uh, San Diego State minus 6.2. Uh, and so the turnaround for CMU, I, I said earlier, they were 1-11 last year. They're eight and five. They got to a MAC title game. Uh, they had a chance to win that one as well. Jim McElwain took over, did a fantastic job. I think that speaks more to the lack of talent in the uh, conference as a whole relative to the rest of the country than anything else. Um, you know, they did play Wisconsin earlier in the year. They lost 61-0, although they did play a close game against Miami, who was a mess, who played like four quarterbacks this season. But uh, in general, I think I'm getting a more talented team. Uh, starting quarterback Ryan Anu, who missed the BYU game for the Aztecs, tend the season is probable. Uh, and especially defensively, they're ninth in defensive efficiency, 4.6 yards per play. They're first in rushing yards allowed per play. It's 2.7. Now they're prepping with Rocky Long for a few weeks against the Chippewas offense that's been playing Matt competition for a few months. Uh, they have the 124th ranked strength of schedule. Uh, so I, don't know. I think it's a buy low against the Mac school that I think the perception is because maybe, maybe Rufus is right because they won eight games and were in a conference championship game and San Diego state for the first time in a long time, didn't make their conference uh, championship game, or at least wasn't uh, a player in the mix. Maybe there's an edge there uh, in that regard, but my numbers say just, you know, raw projection that should be like six, six point two, six and a half. Interesting. I, I have it. Um, I think the market's right about um, where it should be. I have actually, I have it at 3.2. So not, not very far off. Um, 
interestingly, Central Michigan is a has been like looking at their variance in their game grades this season. They've been extreme. Um, Seventeen point one point standard deviation there. They've you know they had that really bad loss to sixty one nothing Wisconsin early, but they uh, beat Northern Illinois forty eight to ten and Toledo forty nine to seven. And the fact that those, I those are both against backup quarterbacks for what it's worth. Ah, good point. That that is a good point. How how much how much is it? Sorry. A point that you knew or didn't know? I did not know that. <laughs> I was just making the note, but it, it is is true. There was that stretch. I think there was even a third game maybe in there um, where they faced the opponent's backup quarterback. It was just a thing like, I made a note of throughout just to not get too overreactionary with the CMU numbers, um, although it didn't keep me from betting them second half in the MAC title game and losing, so it happens. I had them, I had them in the MAC title game. That was, I think, the one that was – well, no, you I had him. You had the other side, Rufus. Oh wait, did I have? Wait, who was? I think I had, I had whoever the underdog was. I had whoever the underdog was. Ohio. Okay, so, yeah. Which you know, it makes sense that that I'm low on, or that I would have been a little low on Central Michigan, given the fact that how bad they were last year, I guess, um, and and the fact that they don't have a ton of talent. But sure, um, it's interesting I know looking at their I know roster better than you guys know your own picks. So just funny how that works. <laughs> Uh, let's okay, move on anyway, to the Cure on. Bowl, the Cure Bowl, which is Georgia Southern um, giving four to Liberty, and the total is fifty-seven and a half. Uh, interesting, right? Because Liberty is this new team this year that seemed to show up quite a bit, both um, in analytics, both uh, on and against. So I'd be interested to see what you guys have in this game. I think it's pretty fair. I'm minus 4.9. I think the total move up is a little surprising. I'm 54.6. But when you actually look at like from a matchup standpoint, uh, Georgia Southern runs the option and Liberty ranks 97th in rushing success rate. Uh, They're 72nd in stuff rate, which I think is actually more important when it comes to an option team and trying to uh, make contact at the line of scrimmage, because if you're unable to do that, then it just opens up uh, a ton more holes and advantages for the option team. They can maneuver however they want. Um, they also have Liberty face the weakest schedule in the country in FBS. Uh, and so I think the argument though, and narrative for the other side, I haven't bet this game. So I mean, it's pretty much right on market. Uh, and, and I've used this argument before, but is that when you have multiple weeks to prepare for an option team, uh, it's a gimmick offense, then it bodes well. And, and I believe there is something to that. Like if you're in the middle of the season and you play Team X, and then a week later you have to play Team Y who runs the option, and then a week later you play Team Z, it's going to be much tougher to prepare for the option in the middle of that season against Team Y than it would be if you have three weeks to prepare for them before a bowl season. So I think there is something to that. Maybe that's why despite their you know rushing success rates and the rushing metrics defensively going against them this line hasn't really moved much and it's basically right on market those two things might be a wash um so for me it's a total pass but i am a little surprised that the totals moved up maybe they think georgia southern is going to have success running the ball anyway and i know liberty uh through the air is pretty efficient this year they were i would i'd say like top 45 they were in that range with like washington state hawaii oklahoma state like they have a pretty good uh, a passing offense relative to you know who they played um, I make Georgia Southern minus six point six, and my total not um, factoring in weather is fifty four point three. So yeah, so it's getting a little high. I, I'm, I was surprised by it. That was one I didn't notice had moved up as as high too when I was looking over some notes last night. So if anything, I, I would say the edge, slight edge to the under at fifty eight, fifty seven and a half. Yeah, I agree. Okay, moving on to the Boca Raton Bowl, which is something that we've a teams that we've talked about already um, in reference to Lane Kiffin leaving um, FAU for greener pastures and there being an interim coach there. Um, 
Cheetah, I believe you like SMU here with the total of uh, a line of three and a half and a total of 70. Uh, yeah, we might be opposite on this if I remember listening to your guys' podcast last week, but uh, I would not bet SMU at three and a half. Uh, so that's a key difference. I, I bet it at three. I think my average price was minus 111. So um, anyways, get, getting into the, to the point, you know, my, my discrepancy here isn't even very large. I only have SMU minus five. Um, but let's get into, I guess, a lot of like the narrative discussion, right? Because Lane Giffen's leaving uh, for Ole Miss. Defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer's taking over, uh, and he is an interim coach. Um, I think this is interesting. The Owls, the you know, Fort Atlantic, they were awarded after winning their conference USA championship game uh, with playing in the Boca Raton Bowl in their own backyard without their head coach. Uh, I, I so I'm, this isn't just my like theory. I, I did work at Utah when I was doing my graduate work there. I worked with the football team and with athletes there. And I have talked to Chris Peterson at Dallas once when he took Washington there and they were visiting all the sites. Teams and players look forward to bowl season. They look forward to traveling, playing in a new city, learning about the new city, representing their program, celebrating the season they had. FAU doesn't get to do that. Meanwhile, Sonny Dykes, the Mustangs, SMU, they just completed their historic 10-win season, get to go to Florida and celebrate it. So there's all those kind of extra variables, which are hard to you know, quantify in the realm of, hey, this is what a point spread should be, or this is what it should be worth to a point spread. It's hard to quantify not having Lane Giffen's guidance, what that's going to mean to the point spread. But I will say, looking at the actual matchup here, a lot of the SMU strengths go up against a lot of the Florida Atlantic uh, weaknesses. You look at FAU, they average nearly 35 points per game. You might consider them a top 20 offense or so. Um, but you break it down on a per-play basis they only ranked 54th averaging 5.7 yards they were 88th in success rate defensively FAU uh, they ranked outside the top of uh, top 100 allowing pass plays of 30 more 30 or more yards so like passing explosiveness they ranked outside the top 100 SMU they ranked Shane Bouchelle at quarterback ranked number two in pass plays of 30 or more yards they ranked number one in the country in sacks they like 4.2 sacks per game uh they're top 10 in havoc rate uh, and Fort Atlantic ranked 73rd allowing uh, 2.2 sacks per game um and this is a product of FAU's strength of schedule which is 115th this season and SMU had like a top 75 schedule so uh for me I think just everything kind of lines up and with the Minus three, pretty key. I wouldn't have bet this at three and a half. But if you can get minus threes, I would say like minus 120 or cheaper, which I think are still out there in the market a few places then. Um, that's my side on this one. Interesting. So the, um, the travel motivation angle is interesting because on one hand, you would say it's in their own backyard. You know, this is, they can, you know, it, it's, they should have an advantage there, right? More Florida Atlantic fans um, and just less travel time. And, yeah, I used between and, one and a half to two points for home field. It was a diminished number. So you actually gave, home field, but you but gave Florida Atlantic some home field, and yeah. you still and you still have SMU there. And yeah, I have it like six and a half, six point six on a neutral. So yeah, so I was like five without it. So on a neutral for me, I actually have Florida Atlantic as a one point three point favorite. So um, which is I would I would bet that very different all day. Yeah. Well, you you would bet what. You, I get you on a oh, well. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna book a line at the number that my no. model says. Obviously, because any. No. I mean, any model, obviously. Like, I'm not saying 1.3 is the right number. Like, if if my model is quote correct, well, my model is never quote correct. It's it's the answer is somewhere. Like, if my model is good, the answer is somewhere between Constantly. my model and the market, right? Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, I would think I, I would have thought that that. Um, you know, maybe a team can look forward to traveling, but at the same time, that doesn't mean, you, you know, if you're on vacation, how focused are you on football, right? I mean, I think you can kind of look at it multiple ways um, with totally. that. Yeah. Um, but just when, it, when you're just looking at the actual, um, at the teams, 
What's interesting is that it's kind of been a tale of two halves of the season for, for Florida Atlantic. They've been um, their average. Well, they were a 33rd percentile team in terms of their average game grade, the first six games of the season and 71st percentile the second half, whereas SMU's kind of gone the other way. They were 74th percentile and then went down to 51st percentile. So I think, Florida Atlantic is sort of, I mean, we wait. It's strength of schedule related probably, although maybe this you're is control- for that. Yeah, but. I'm controlling for that. So this is, it's comparing it to our expectation for um, their opponent. And that's also knowing at this point now, I'm, I'm, I revisit it. So I create a game grade every week, but obviously the game grade, if you look back at a game grade now, like for week one, it's going to assume um, what I knew about the team, their opponent week one, which we now know is very different. So, the, the game grades I'm looking at now actually are using the entire season and basically like, so, you know, TC, SMU played TCU in week four. I'm using what I know about TCU now and waiting based on how, um, sure. how, well, and waiting TCU's per, like performance based on how um, close it is to week four there. So, so I think part of maybe the reason I show an edge is the fact that Florida Atlantic has come on stronger at the end of the season and, um, and their recent, games are weighted more heavily. It's not a huge, huge number, but it's certainly substantial. Um, other than that, I don't know. Um, but I took some Florida Atlantic. I got a little plus four, but a, a big position at plus three and a half. And so um, I'm, I'm not on it at plus three, but that's because I'm already on it at plus three and a half. I will, I will say one thing. Now, this is like a whole motivation topic, and I know we have some other games we want to get into. But after they lost to Memphis, it was that 48-54 back-and-forth game. Uh, they were essentially eliminated from contending for the AAC. Then they gave up 51 to ECU, uh, like 30-something to Navy. Um, and 35. Up, and then they gave up. I think they beat Tulane pretty handily in the end anyways. But I don't know. There, there might have been a little bit of a drop-off at the end of season just because they, they were officially eliminated from contention in the AAC. And – uh, hopefully, you know, that could continue on to a bowl though. You could argue that it, you know, they're still not as motivated or whatever now, but I, I would, uh, giving a 51 to ECU isn't going to be the norm for SMU generally. Like their defense is definitely better than that. Um, so there were a couple surprising scores there. And I actually had SMU in that Navy game. They were up uh, 17 at halftime and they couldn't cover plus three and a half or whatever it was. So, uh, they just fell apart in that second half too. It's, uh, interesting. I'm surprised that you have Florida Atlantic the favorite though, even on a neutral field. And by the way, that yeah, that game against East Carolina actually had um, they they were second percentile bad on play value on defense, so um, which kind of stands out. I mean, they they were they were top fifty percentile. This is adjusting for opponent um, every single game except the Tulsa game before that. So, so it was the game before and after Memphis, which was the game for the conference or for the division. But before, yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, they weren't great against. I mean, I, I graded them as a negative five point two. That's so that's um, thirty seven thirty seven point two percentile, thirty eighth percentile against Memphis. So I, yeah, um, I mean, it, it, this has to be something in the way that you guys are doing strength of schedule or how you guys are rating strength of schedule. I would assume, right? Because to have such a big disparity on on how you rate these teams is is pretty pretty interesting when probably a lot of the analytical approach is somewhat similar. Um, you know, obviously Rufus, there's, I think more that goes into your analytics than there are in cheetahs, but this is not a case where cheetahs intangibles are the reason that the, these numbers are different than, than um, well, well, if you look at oh, sorry. one, one thing real quick, I mean, did he, he didn't bet SMU 200 to one before the season even started. I was really high on SMU. I added 40 to one, like three weeks into the season. Now they didn't end up winning. 
but like I was very bullish on the Shane Bouchelle transfer out of Texas and him and Sonny Dyke's offense. And I was way more bullish on SMU from the get-go. And that could be like five of the points right there or something. I mean, I don't know if, if Pryor is going to make that much of a difference at this point. I mean, I can go back and see where my Pryor is here. And I, I mean, I know Lane Kiffin overall is, I assume, um, has done well, a pretty a good job recruiting, yours, right? But, but for mine, it could. If, if mine was already so much higher and then they had a 10-2 and two season – and they played pretty well in general, then I'm not going to be really downgrading where I was at. And you probably weren't upgrading them as much. So So that's probably why I'm higher on them. So going into the season, my preseason numbers, it looks like I had Southern Methodist um, rated number 90 and Florida Atlantic rated number 85. So they were within a point and a half of each other there. So not a big difference. I would assume that Cheetah, you had SMU ranked much higher than FAU or not? I'd have to pull. I didn't. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I had SMU ahead of Fort Atlantic for sure before the season. Still, although it's probably even closer. My guess is there's a little bit to the fact that I've probably upgraded SMU. Even I mean, they covered what was it their first six or seven games, and like they were laying points like at a ridiculous level. Their overs went over in like the first ten games. Like they just were scoring at such a level. I was trying to play catch up to the market too. Maybe I waited. Uh, my market closing, you know, adjustments each week more than Rufus did as well. And he, like you mentioned, he weighted their end of season performance in those last couple of games more. So um, as a whole, I think that's probably outside of me just being more bullish in general entering the season. That's probably the discrepancies. Well, looking at like, I'm looking at my ratings for week nine and I had SMU number 47 with a plus 4.1. And at that time I had Florida Atlantic number 86 at minus 4.6. So, so pretty big difference at that point. And it's, it's amazing how that sort of has been made up, I guess. Yeah. Also, if you look at it, Florida Atlantic has been the number one team in the country in terms of turnover margin. Um, and so that's, um, that would you know, maybe something like, I mean, they've done well. So sorry. That would, that would make me lean to cheetah side more than you. Right. But SMU has also been positive in turnovers too, but turnovers actually are a little more predictive um, in interceptions. Can I mean, look yeah, at Atlanta's or sorry, not Atlanta, Alabama's number two, Notre Dame's number, you know, three, you know, Baylor, Clemson, Oregon, all in the top, yeah, Appalachian well, state, hey guys, Ohio you know state, all in the top 10 in turnover margin. So we're going to, we're going to get to see them play this on the field and we're going to see who's smarter. You or Cheetos. <laughs> exactly. I, I love right, when you can actually test intelligence with one game. It's great. Camellia bowl. <laughs> which is in it's it's in the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama and it's Arkansas State minus two and a half against FIU with a total of 62. I can be quick with this one so my projection I'm minus 2.1 uh, I'm 62.2 uh, there's really nothing here FIU won a big game over Miami outright I think it was a game played at Mar at the uh, Marlins Park, which is like 15 miles from where they play. Uh, but this is the interesting note. So of those, they played seven games essentially around their home stadium. The other five, uh, they were 0-5. They were outscored by an average of three touchdowns per game. Um, so that's just something to note. I'm not betting Arkansas State because of that, but I just thought it was interesting when I was going through it. The Red Wolves, they have a wide receiver named Omar Bayless. He was second in the country in receiving yards, like nearly 1,500 receiving yards. He's an NFL caliber receiver. And I think in general, especially at this type of level where it's Florida Atlantic, or excuse me, Florida International and Arkansas State, uh, if you have the best skilled player on the field, it goes a lot further than say you having the best skill player on the field in the NFL or even in a major conference level. Uh, so if you made me do it, this is kind of goes with Jeff, you were saying, if you were to subjectively bet against your numbers, uh, even though I say I'm minus 2.1 and the spreads minus two and a half some places, I would probably bet Arkansas state if I had to take a side. 
Interesting. Um, would you say, would you agree with me that, I mean, I, I, I agree that I think quarterbacks or I think wide receivers and running backs are definitely worth more in college football than the NFL. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Would you also agree that quarterbacks are worth, are worth less? That depends. I think a quarterback in the Mac that's an NFL level quarterback's worth a lot more than Tua at Alabama. Well, so it depends fair on fair point. But right. I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. That, okay. It's, it's dependent. Yeah. It varies for me. But, but overall, in general. I'd have to look to see what my average is. My guess is that, yeah, average out, uh, especially since I put more stock in, like, scheming and, and coaching grading that I do in offensive and defensive coordinators, where, yeah, like, you don't want to say system quarterback like Tom Brady in New England, but, you know, you can have a second guy uh-huh. go in or third guy go in there, and he can at least relatively perform similar to uh, what the starter was doing. I would say more often than not, that's probably true, although I haven't actually averaged it out, you know, this season and compared it to other seasons. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've looked sort of at the average decline um, what is a starter. And you have it, a number there? It, it all depends on – so I, I, I've modeled it as a function of how many starts the previous quarterback had had as well. And uh-huh. it ends up only being like, like generally – well, the, the problem is also I don't know – I, I can't verify what is injury versus what is just a guy being benched or something. Benched. Uh, um, yeah. But overall, so so I'm guessing though that's why if you have a guy with a lot of starts, it's much less likely that he was benched. That's probably part of that's probably mm-hmm. part of it. Um, but I generally find it's worth less than two points. Okay, I would have guessed somewhere around two and a half. So that's probably a little. But I could if you throw out some of those cases where a guy may have just been benched, then that's probably yeah two to two and a half or something. Yeah, I mean, like, let's say if you had a guy that had 24 career starts, I'm just looking at Clemson at the top, um, my ratings, I would move Chase them. Bryce is pretty brutal, the backup for them. I'd be interested to see what the drop-off is there. I, I see, this that. is not – so So I don't have a player rating. I mean, I, I could look at his recruiting numbers and stuff, but I don't really uh-huh. – I, do, I sort of approach it on a case-by-case basis kind of qualitatively and say, okay, how much do, – do I think that this – adjustment makes sense like and i'm kind of cautious in those games one one thing i do too i I know we we still need to move on i've said this four times already but it's also gonna be dependent on who their matchup is so like for example if chase bryce was playing instead of trevor lawrence for clemson in their bowl game playoff game against ohio state that's going to be a more significant drop off than if they were playing georgia tech and they could basically hand the ball off to travis Etienne every play right so it's going to be a little more dependent too on on who they're playing and uh, I think it's more compounded more if they're playing a better opponent than if they're playing an inferior one. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense. By the way, I would have the downgrade just not knowing who the backup is. The, my formula with a guy that had 24 career starts would be um, a 2.2 point downgrade. Okay. Anyways, um, anyway, sorry, I, I didn't comment on this, this, this game, which I really don't care about. Um, Arkansas State, I make them um, minus 1.2 with a total of 61.2. All right, Nothing. moving on to the Las Vegas Bowl, Cheetah's home. Um, Boise State is a three-and-a-half-point dog to Washington University. So I have – I have um, Washington, Washington is in orange on my spreadsheet, which means something. And I'm sure Cheetah Coach. can tell me what it means. There we go. <laughs> yeah, Chris Peterson's, like, stepping down. He is coaching the game. It's his kind of last hurrah. And then coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, it's against his former program in Boise State – uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit higher on Washington. I was entering the season. I still am, I think, relative to the market. I wouldn't bet three and a half, though, but I took some minus three. Uh, and there still are, I think, some minus threes around. Um, I don't know. Generally, I have when you kind of adjust for you know success rate, offensive, defensive efficiency, and yards per play stuff, 
when you adjust for a schedule, Washington, you know, they're 25th on offense. You know, Boise's like 46th. Uh, defensively, I think they grade out like 36th versus 51st for Boise. Uh, when you look at this, the raw data, uh, they're about similar on offense and Washington is worse defensively. And as a whole, Washington took a big step back defensively. And that's why um, they did lose three games this year, but they lost three games by a total of uh, one was by one point. The other two games were each by three points. So I like they, they had a, a or excuse me. Um, they were seven and five, but three of their games. Wait, I, I'm reading this a little bit wrong. I have notes on this. Let me just check it. Cause I was going off on my memory. Okay. So four of the Huskies losses were by six points or less. One was by one, two were by three, um, and the fifth loss was by ten. So as a, as a total, it looks like you know their five losses were by 20 points combined, which I think in general means Washington's probably better than their 7-5 and five record or the perception of them being there. Um, and you know my projection, 5.4, and I, I liked uh, getting the three against, I think, the better team against an inferior team in Boise State. And no regards to the fact that he's playing his former team or any revenge there or anything like that. Oh, okay. So it turns out I, the reason it's orange is it, it says Adams, offensive line, Bryant, tight end. So they oh, okay. guys that must be sitting. Um, I make the, so I make the game um, 6.3. I, I don't have a play on it at the moment probably because of that, um, because it's one of the ones I'm being cautious about because of, um, of the color. The tight end, I think the tight end is a, is a stud. I think he's supposed to go and be a, a guy. Yeah. In the NFL, I yeah. I think, I think we yeah. marked down guys that are like, like, impact guys that are that are not playing or, or might may not play but i have washington as the 37th best offense 16th best defense boise state 42 on offense 37 on defense that's not how they perform that's what my that's sort of the predict a predictive sure. number for them jeff do you know why jacob easton isn't sitting out to prep for the nfl draft because he's not that good <laughs> that's a good point yeah he, he's been a total bust at two places i mean he's like a guy that um has all the physical tools to be a great quarterback and people keep wanting it to happen, but yeah, it's not going to happen. happen yet. Was he, the, so. was he at Georgia before? Yes. He was yeah. the Georgia. Yeah. Look at that. I, I want, I want a congratulatory nice pat for, for like, I didn't even use the internet for that. <laughs> that was just all, all, all my processor upstairs. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably it. has a better chance of improving his draft stock with a really good game. Right. This is oh, one of those no. that if he has a really good game here, people are gonna be like, Oh, it's finally clicked. You know, this is a guy, that could ride a good performance into the NFL draft and then have like, he's obviously going to have a good combine, right? Because well, but if he has, cool. if he has a bad game, then he could, you know, he's going to be selling insurance. So <laughs> I don't Pressure's think he'd be selling insurance. For there's, there's not much downside because he's had that poor of a season anyways. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the new Orleans bowl. Uh, it's going to be Appalachian state giving six and a half. Apple, sorry, it's Appalachian. Appalachian. My, 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 my friends, my friends went to Appalachian state and they, uh, whenever you, pronounce it wrong they get upset and i always just okay. like when they get upset but this time How about I'm getting... this app state getting, uh, getting 16 and a half to university of alabama birmingham the total is 48 it's in new orleans what says you guys uh, i can oh. take it so i haven't bet anything yet but i am going to probably be betting the under at 48 i'm 44.3 uh, spreads closer to market. I'm 14.6. Um, I think the general goal, there's two sides. This general perception of App State's probably a little bit skewed. Uh, they've played a schedule rank, I think, of 108. Uh, their net yards per play differential is 1.3, which ranks 19th, uh, 26th in offensive efficiency, 49th in success rate. But when you adjust for strength of schedule, that drops to 86th. So they're actually a below average offense. And then UAB's offense grades out 118th after you adjust for strength of schedule. Um, and that's, you know, 
so they played – I'm going to get into Tyler Johnston. He's a quarterback who hasn't played the last five weeks very regularly. He injured his knee. In those five games he didn't play, although he got like 11 passes against Florida Atlantic, he came in and played for about a quarter. Uh, they averaged 16 points per game. In the first seven that he did play, they averaged 30 per game. And um, it's not like their schedule really changed much. So as far as the strength of it, there was one Tennessee game in that – there was the Tennessee game he got injured actually and was the third quarter. Um, but as a whole – you know, they've, this is like a UAB team that played the 138th ranked schedule, uh, according to Sagarin, who does Wait, the 138. I thought there were, there were eight FCS teams that played tougher schedules than UAB did this season. Interesting. huh? That's... And now Johnston, who, by the way, made a few passes against, uh, Fort Atlantic in that championship game, maybe an upswing, you know, as far as his return and health being a concern, there are rumors going around. I will leave them at that. The rumors that he may be academically ineligible for this game, for the bowl game, for what it's worth. This is the quarterback well, guy. This is the quarterback that without College him in, Winston, right? in five yes. games, they're averaging 16 points and they've just really struggled to move the ball. And now they're going up against two defenses. that are ranked in the top 12th in success rate and efficiency. And you know, that's not adjusting for strength of schedule. Uh, I, I, I would say UAB's pace real quick. One more note I made, they're sixth slowest in the FBS, App State 66th. Um, so for me, 44.3 is my projection with Johnston under center, which may still be the case. But the rumor, I will make point of that again, the rumor is he's going to be academically ineligible. Therefore, under 48, I think, has quite a big of, uh, of an edge, especially for a total that low. And if Johnston's out, uh, I got I got to take it. Rufus? Excellent. I, I'm, I took UAB plus 17. Um, I, I make the number uh, 12.72, and that's after. So this number would be a little higher if it wasn't a bowl game. So this is, this is a, a lopsided enough spread that sort of, the, um, sort of yeah. the compression thing does have an effect here. So normally it would be maybe like 13 and a half, um, and I'm having it at 12.7. So part of that is like, you know, how much to actually compress it. And, and I make a nice educated guess based off of um, – I, I, you know, I, I think that most that a lot of the sort of compression in bowl games is is noise. Um, but Rufus, did you know that you're betting against uh, an interim head coach? I'm betting against one. Yeah, that's, upstate that's coach uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, he's going to Missouri, so you got the assistant Sean Clark, I believe, taking over. So you're you're in one of those spots where uh, you may or may not have an extra bonus edge there. Well, I would have bet on App State if they had a coach named Eli, but now they don't. So I now can't. they don't. Got it. Got it. Because that's, that's my Rufus's fiance's name. Fiance's name for those of you guys keeping track at home. It's ah, Elizabeth. Right, Manning. Anyway. Because of his fiance. Uh, let's move on to the Gasparilla Bowl um, in Raymond James Stadium. It's Central Florida. Minus Wait, hold on. I didn't, you didn't even let me say anything about the total. I don't have a play. But I lean your way, Cheetah. Um, and I, you're like 46 right. and a half ish or 47. I make it 47 and a half. So, yeah. I mean, Cheetah, but like just to go back to that, if with this, all this Tyler Johnston sort of rumor and this line now ticked down to 16 and a half, and all of the thoughts that you have about UAB basically playing this horrid schedule, wouldn't that say that it might be worth a little, little sprinkle on Appalachian State also and screw Rufus's numbers? P- potentially. I think the, most direct way to bet that would be the UAB team total under for, I'm not sure if those are even up yet. Most spots, probably not. But once it does, if the total is still sitting 48, then a UAB team total under definitely, I like to split up the variance too. Sometimes I'll bet, you know, half of my wager on the full game under and half of it on a team total or a team total under and lay the points with a a certain team. So it, it just 
kind of depends case by case, but that's absolutely fine. Especially if Johnston's out. Um, I'm not sure where UAB gets their points. Okay. Moving on central Florida minus the 17 against Marshall central Florida going from, uh, having been basically in the title conversation and the undefeated conversation in the last few years to all of a sudden now playing before Christmas against the Marshall team. Is this, is this a motivation spot for us? Should we be jumping on Marshall to take the 17? Well, they have a, is Wimbush playing for UCF? <laughs> he hasn't played since the first game of the year. I don't think <laughs> well, there you go, but he's not Wait, coming back or anything. I don't all, all I know is he's listed in my notes slash other opinions section. Doesn't he play for Notre Dame? Or he, he that's, used a different, that's a different one. He no, played. Brandon Wimbush played. He, I think he threw 24, 25 passes. Then they went to the freshman, uh, Gabriel, and he's played the entirety of the season. Rufus. I'm, I'm, well, he's, he's – okay, he's listed as a player skipping. Um, apparently, <laughs> he's going pro, so, baby. So my business partner put it in there because he's listed as a guy skipping the bowl game. So maybe he's healthy enough. Like, I don't know why he's so you know, he's he healthy enough to come back, I guess. But mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really affect my numbers. I have the number at 16 and a half. So I'm 16.9, 61 on the total. So yeah, I think it's pretty much spot on, but this is definitely a narrative type game where you're like, do they even want to be here? UCF had the higher expectations. Uh, they lost, they were the team that I had, and I'd made some notes. They lost three games by a total of just seven points. Um, and so I think they're maybe a little bit undervalued in general. I know uh, my colleague, Bill Conley, he actually has this year's UCF team, I think mostly because their defense is a lot better. Now their offense isn't as explosive, but he has this year's team ranked 14th and as SP plus uh, gradings, wow. which is better than the 12 and one team last year that was 18th. And the team prior to that was 13 and 0 undefeated. He had ranked 22nd. So where, this do, is like where a do you have them? Uh, I, I looked when I made that note, um, I have them 23rd tied for 23rd with, uh, maybe Boise it was. Okay, I have him 25. Yes, I think that's a more fair range. 14 is definitely uh, too bullish, in my opinion. But I thought it was interesting that his numbers had this team graded out better than the last two. Now they lost three games by, you know, three points or fewer. Like, it's maybe they are better than we expected. Maybe this is their chance with a freshman quarterback for the new era of UCF football to just mop up Marshall by, you know, 28 to 35 points. Like, it's possible. I'm passing. Um, but one more thing. Last note, Doc Holliday, coach from Marshall, 6-0, and both straight up and against the spread in bowl games. Interesting. Do, what do you think about that? Like, do you think there's any predictive value to that? Like, I mean, I, I feel like different teams – I mean, I don't know how coaches approach bowl games. I don't know if they give their players a few weeks rest and then, you know, if, if there's a big difference in how coaches approach it. So, I mean, maybe, maybe there is something. Do you – do you factor in, I'm curious, and then I will respond to that directly. Do you factor in certain coaches being um, more adept at performing better or is team performing better when they have a bye week during the regular season versus others off of a bye week? In college football? Yeah. Do you differentiate that at all? No, I don't. I mean, I, I, there may be, you know, that's actually something to look at. I, I want, I mean, I, I do, I, I do, I could I do a mixed effects model and sort of, I, I'm curious yeah. to see if there is, I, I run like a little mixed effects and sort of see what the distribution of the random effects for, um, for co- at the coach level is. That it's would be very interesting. Just because I think, I think it's fair to assume that certain coaches with more prep time for their opponent are going to perform better than if they had say only one week. And then so they have two or three weeks just because they're either a better coach. Uh, they're more nuanced. Their entire staff may be better. Right. And so there's, I know Gary Patterson is one at TCU who off of a buy, I'm not sure what the actual stats and trends are because I don't 
actually just follow the trend exactly to spew it as a reason for a play. Um, but he's something like 13 and two probably off of a buy over 10 seasons or so. Um, and bowl weeks are similar where if you have that extra prep time, I think there are certain coaches that uh, will do a better job against his opponent. And so maybe Doc Holliday is one of those guys. I don't know off the top of my head what they are um, off of a buy in the regular season, but you know, six and zero straight up and against the spread, I believe four of them underdogs, uh, not a bad record. Maybe it's just noisy for six years, but maybe Doc Holliday just, you know, he's, you have extra time to game plan. He's just going to do it better than you do. Well, that's interesting because I, I would think in general, having extra time to game plan is more of an equalizer. Regress to zero. Right, like the, the Bill Belichick example and going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, Bill Belichick, I think, is really good at getting a game plan on a short period of time. Um, whereas, because um, if you think about like if the SAT test, if you took got a whole day to take the test, scores would be a lot more even, Right. Sure, just because they have it, more time. Yeah. You have more time. So every, if you have more time, it doesn't being efficient, being... You know. but, there, but there would also be more people that have perfect score. Yeah, for sure. But so I think there that's are, all the point, are, though. Everybody's, so so are teams are going to have better game plans in general after two weeks. Right, and the best of the best will be better than the average, potentially, if they're the best. So I, there, are, there are coaches, I think, where it can, it can be a, an actual thing. And you can run the mixed effects model and see if you actually come up with anything. Um, but there, there are a few coaches that I just blindly will basically award either a point to a point and a half um, off of a buy, assuming the other team's not off of a buy either. Um, is, have you modeled that? Like, is it per, I mean, cause I mean, you quoted Gary Patterson's record against the spread. What I'd be more interested in to know is how many points have they overperformed by and, you know, is it been in fundamental cat, you know, if, if it's been, you know, if, Teams have missed, three, you know, more field goals against his. You know, if they've been lucky in fumble right. recovery or something, right? Stuff. Yeah, like I'd be, you know, I'd almost care more about like, like maybe even just looking at my game grades. How much, um, how much a team's game grade is impacted by that? Yeah, if they had somehow a negative game grade, but they're thirteen and two against the spread alpha buy, then that's probably you know, right. Fluky. Yeah, we can dig into it after. We'll talk. All right, I'm gonna that's- try to query it up right now while you're talking about the next game. Last bowl game before the uh, – we're going to do the two, two semifinals. Uh, we got Christmas Eve. You're sitting around with your family, and BYU and Hawaii come on to air, and you definitely need to have some action on it because you're hanging out with the family. BYU minus one and a half. This is as close to uh, Cheetah's hometown team as you can, and the total 64. Do the, um, does BYU have a chance in Hawaii? Uh, they certainly have a chance. They're a small favorite. Uh, I, I don't think they should be one and a half. I think they should be a half point favorite. Uh, my total is 65.8, so maybe slightly low. Uh, I will say this, BYU and Hawaii, they have been the death of me this season. I was just looking back because in my head, I was like, did I win a BYU or Hawaii side this season? I was one and three in BYU sides and 0 and three in Hawaii sides, uh, whether I was betting on or against them. So uh, I don't know. I'm taking bribes from fan bases, whoever wants to, you know, me to bet against their team you, my dms are open but I, i'm gonna pass my my number's pretty much spot on with where the market's at and um I, I will say the one note as far as a matchup thing that i did make here is cole mcdonald's he was a quarterback uh the other guy took over cordero and then now it's back to mcdonald mcdonald has one of the highest interception rates in the entire country i think in history if you like look over his career uh, and byu was 10th of the nation in interception rate they picked off 15 balls McDonald might be prone to more interceptions in this game, potentially just because of um, the numbers, at least based on his career versus BYU this season. But uh, as a whole, there's just no value here to bet this game, in my opinion. Plus, it's on the island. Who knows what's going on? 
The Cordero McDonald thing's interesting, right? Because they've flip-flopped these guys for the last two years. One is the last year in like a pretty critical game, they put Cordero in, um, and he was sort of like the future, but it sounds like they're going back and forth. I, I would say that that is an interesting thing because whereas turnovers are not very easy to predict, in this case, maybe you can predict it. And if you were guaranteed a couple, a couple of interceptions in your pocket, you would certainly want BYU minus the one and a half. Yeah, and it's not something like you could – I mean, it would be awesome to guarantee like two or three picks. I mean, it might be that you can project out an extra like .2 interceptions in the game or something. Uh, for me, for me, I'll say because I've watched a lot of the games anyways, McDonald is like the prototypical like high-risk, high-reward guy. Like he drops dimes. Like he'll, he is not afraid to throw a ball, seam route, 30 yards plus in between – uh, you know, his corner, the safety, and over the linebacker. But when you're throwing into triple and double coverage a lot, you're also going to get picked off a lot. But he just – he's fearless. Now, the reason I think they go to Cordero is he is – he was younger. He's potentially the future. He is way, way more conservative, more the prototypical, like, let's just grind this game down. Now, so in certain instances, Hawaii probably wants the more high-variance quarterback in McDonald. In others, they prefer Cordero. That's why they've switched and flip-flopped a lot, I think. But McDonald, like, as a passer right now, at least at his current state versus younger Cordero, like – Watch him play against BYU. Even BYU's really good defense, really good against the pass. They don't give up explosive plays. McDonald will have a few passes. You're like, wow, this guy's going to be in the NFL. And then, you know, he throws so many interceptions. You're like, oh, okay, that's why he's, he won't be. Rufus, you want to say anything, or did you finish looking up what you wanted to look up? No, I was figure, trying to figure out um, if, if it was actually at Hawaii's home stadium or not. <laughs> but I, I, don't have, I don't have value. Um, I make it okay. 2.8. Let's move on. And so, that's giving, giving Hawaii home field, full home field advantage. But, but we have to give BYU credit, right? Because they're going to be happy to travel. Whereas Hawaii is like, man, Rufus, Hawaii, I don't like Rufus. it here. I want to go to a place well, like, I want to go to a place like on, hold on, New Mexico for a bowl. Hold on, hold on, Jeff. Hold on. <laughs> no, I'm just I, giving. I, I, yeah. no, aside, no, aside from that, like there's no way you should value Hawaii, a team traveling to Hawaii with traveling a week earlier rather than in between two games during the regular season, the same value as like BYU traveling there and being conditioned to the time change and practicing there. Like there's no way that's the same. So you're, would, you're saying you, you're saying it'd be closer to neutral field than it would be closer to, to neutral than it would be if they played in week six and BYU had to travel to the, from the States to Hawaii and back to the States within, you know, four days or five days or whatever it would be. And honestly, for what it's worth, just separate from that Hawaii's home field value has diminished significantly for me over the past two or three seasons. Why is that? I'm not sure. It just, I just, I just adjust according to their play versus the market. And like, I, I don't, I just automated it. I used to have it really high uh, and I'm down to probably a slightly above country average, even though it's Hawaii, but would it's, you, it's not nearly like top five. Like it was, would you say, I mean, but don't you have different players that you did than you did like five years ago, four years ago? Even. Yeah, and a different coach with Rolovitz over there. He went over from Nevada. They, and they haven't been as good for a few seasons, but they haven't been. They've been even worse at home relative to market and expectations and you know, the closing lines. And so I, I'm not sure. It could just be fluky for a few seasons. But I have been slowly diminishing their home field, anyways. Um, but in a game like this, where BYU's already, you know, traveled there and going to be more prepared than they would be during the regular season, I would I would uh, scale back the home field anyway. Interesting. Yeah, my home field, I have the different home field models I have. I do sort of an ensemble thing, um, and it's largely based on travel distance and, and other stuff related to um, geography. It's almost entirely geography. Um, but I have it. I have them with a, a higher home field advantage. But I think Hawaii has a greater road field dis, road disadvantage than like anybody generally. 
That's yeah, the biggest for sure thing. they do because they're going. I mean, it's such big a, in college hoops as well. Because they're yeah, they're go they're going west to east every time and yep. and south to north. So, <laughs> all right, people don't on. people don't value the south to north enough. Let's move on. We got okay. Oklahoma, LSU, in the Peach Bowl and Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. There's two Mercedes-Benz Stadiums very close to each other. Um, LSU is minus 14 and 76. I know some people here may have been waiting for that 14. I'm wondering if they jumped on it. Um, what do you guys say about these games? Uh, I, I wanted to bet 14 until yesterday, I believe, or this, yesterday morning there's rumors of a bunch of suspensions going down. Yeah. So Oklahoma might be down to their fourth string running back. They're going to be out there potentially. Uh, nothing's official, but they're starting one of their starting corners, one of their starting defensive linemen. I believe the D end is an NFL level guy. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to be patient. I still may clip off if they're announced out like 14 and a half, 15, if it gets there, like, I don't know. I, I think this is inflated assuming everyone does play. Uh, I know. And I was pretty pro bullish LSU entering the season, you know, had their over wins, had a small piece of SEC stuff. Like, I, I this has just kind of got a little bit out of hand. They're still a team that gave up 614 yards to a mobile quarterback in Ole Miss three games ago, um, whatever it was, 40-something points they allowed. They were giving up six yards per carry on the ground their final five games of the season before the Georgia game, and then Swift was hurt. He only carried the ball twice. Um, I, I, I like Oklahoma and the prospects of Hurts and Lincoln Riley having all that time, and my projection being um, just I think it's 9.7. So I, I think – that's where it opened. Most spots was nine and a half, ten, ten and a half, and if this gets to fourteen and a half, uh, I'll probably have to just take a stab smaller. If everyone's out, if everyone plays and it's still fourteen, I'm definitely betting it. Yeah, I make it. I make it nine. Also, I have. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't patient enough, so I got down at some at thirteen, and and I have some fourteen and a half minus one twenty nine. I don't know where that was available, but nice it's on my spreadsheet. So we got that. So that's awesome, but. Yeah, I think those those suspensions aren't good. They're not good news. <laughs> There's next level analysis. Yeah, the, the thing I think that compounds the running back thing is Brooks. The, he's like the backup got injured against Baylor, and I think he's going to be out. So if the other guys are suspended and they had another injury from earlier in the season, then they're down to their fourth stringer, which, again, what's running back worth to a point spread? Maybe it's not that much, but the further you go down the depth chart, and again, we talked about skill players probably being more valuable in college. Um, I mean, it's going to factor into some degree. What do you think of the total there? It's it's very high. It's seventy six. It's it's, it's high. And I made a joke uh, when I was on Daily Wager. We were doing projections for this game uh, the Sunday morning before lines came out, and I said bet the over no matter what it is, just like you know, uh, in jest. And I did not think it would ever be this high though. I thought it would be in the like upper sixties, like sixty eight range. I believe is where my projection is. Uh, I got a little bit of under seventy eight somewhere that was rogue, and I've been trying to decide what to do with it because I was kind of trying to figure out if LSU was going to keep getting blasted, and then now figuring out who's going to be suspended or not. I mean, if the D end is out and the cornerback are out, like LSU is probably going to be able to just score. It will I? It's it's very uh, it's very high though. It's it's tough to to fire under in this game. And what's interesting here, like I'm. Uh, this is kind of a surprise to me. I was just just looking, and and I act like um, Oklahoma is not a, a team that is a fast team. I mean, they or they run. They run I have them as yeah. right. I have them as negative seven point eight plays relative to average, um, and LSU plus three point five nine. They're just so efficient. Like Oklahoma's, I have them as a the number five offense. LSU is the number two offense, and so that's kind of the that's where it's coming from. But you, you think normally these sort of extreme totals are games where you have two teams that both play very fast. And I don't think this is the case. 
Yeah. These are not a, these are teams that are like within the normal. They're, they're fairly normal teams. Um, Does your projection space. start with the six, or is it more like seventy one, seventy two? Um, it starts with the seven. Still, it's so I, I don't. I haven't. Um, wait, where's this game? It's in. It's inside. In it's inside. Hold on, I have to add my little turf thing. I have um, <laughs> indoor because the the automated thing looks up the airport code for the home stadium close to the home stadium for the automated weather stuff. So I have. I've been too. You know, I haven't actually. Um, it's hard to get down a lot on totals at this point. Um, so I, I'm going to be doing that closer to to the game game times. So, but I'm not. It's going to involve someone, me or someone else, having to manually go through and do the weather, or because unfortunately. That's what happens when there's neutral fields. Work. Oh, someone is popping LSU right now at Chris. It's minus I saw two cents. That was probably you, yeah. Jeff. Don't pretend like it was someone else. <laughs> um, so no, I, I, I am a I am a Oklahoma Sooners believer in this. They game. both have it nine. Let's fire on LSU. Chris is only minus one fifteen. Okay, so zero precipitation <laughs> indoors, seventy two degrees, zero wind speed, artificial turf, seventy one point ninety eight. So it's high. <laughs> yeah. My, my total's high, but not as high as the markets. Confirming something that we've talked about, basically, it's obvious that it's high, right? Wait, the, the total's to too high. high because Peter <laughs> said on Daily Wager that no matter what it is, pop it, pop yeah, the got, over. Got to right. Up. I mean, that's that's very smart. If they know everybody's going to be betting the over, they have to. Yeah, his I mean, Preston told them to. Daily Wager. And someone out there's someone out there's going to say I did that on purpose so that I have more value betting the under. I don't, were you guys? Did you see this on Twitter when uh, Texas Tech's quarterback Alex Bowman? got injured. This was like week four, week five. And I tweeted it out because I got information from someone I know at Texas Tech that he was going to be out. It wasn't public yet, but I, I said, unfortunately, it's a bye week. So like, there's nothing we can do about it, but it's going to be announced that he's out. And there was a beat writer from Texas Tech and some other people there that were getting on me for trying to uh, give out false information to benefit me in the betting market, even though there was no game that week, but they were like, Hey, you're just trying to do this so that you can make a better bet later. This would be anyway, there wasn't even a line, but this is kind of similar where I'll have people, no matter what I say, they can twist it any way they want. But if I said bet over, I think they're going to hold me to it. And then they're going to say, well, you did that so that you could bet under 78. So. Well, Preston, now, now you're going to be able to say if the over wins that you, you know, it's a winning, winning bet. That's right. And if the under wins, you can say, Oh, well, I took under 78. So you're, you're, you're looking good. Here. That's true. It goes I think both you're going to win. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, Preston is a tout, so let's be honest. Yep. Once, once a tout, always a tout. By the way, I, I was wrong. My 68.1 is Clemson-Ohio State, which we're about to do. I'm 70.4 for Oklahoma LSU, so still just a little bit lower than Rufus. Wow, you're 68.1 on Clemson-Ohio State? That is yeah, large. Yeah, way higher on them. Okay, let's yeah. get into that game because we, we only have about five minutes left, guys, to get this done. So well, Ohio State is a two-point underdog to Clemson. The total is now down to 63, which is, again, another – number that I think a friend of ours was waiting for. Uh, I'm not sure if Rufus was. I was. I, I, bet, I bet 62, 62 and a half. Uh, I still like it at 63 or better. Um, I think, so my, my, my raw projection is 68.1, but you, I think a lot of people are going to dive in. They're going to try to make arguments for which side they like. And I think both arguments are sound. And I think both point to the over. You can talk about how Clemson hasn't played anybody this year which is partly true, at least, you know, generally haven't played anybody. Ohio State's offense is probably going to have success against the Clemson defense. Uh, you could say that Ohio State, the best quarterback they faced was what, Jack Cohn twice, Shea Patterson in Michigan maybe, uh, which is true. Neither of them are NFL caliber quarterbacks. Now they're going up against a future number one pick in the NFL and Trevor Lawrence, who in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think he's future borderline MVP, at least all pro level quarterback in the NFL. 
that, you know, Clemson's probably going to be able to score. And you saw rushing success that Jonathan Taylor had with Wisconsin, especially in that first half against the Ohio State Buckeyes rushing defense. Travis Etienne, especially with the threat of quarterback named Trevor, uh, Trevor Lawrence, as opposed to Jack Cohen, that, there's going to be opportunities there too. I think it's going to be really back and forth. Uh, my projection is 68.1 anyway, but I think both arguments for trying to like Clemson or Ohio State just point to points. So that's I'm just going with it. So I, I, I have the total lower. I mean, I have it right where the market is, actually. Um, is this game indoors? No. Well, Glendale is, yeah, it's indoors. Yeah, okay. So I can, I, can, I can add the indoor thing for that. Yay. So now I can give you the forecast with weather rather than the weather agnostic one. So I'm, I'm 63.9. Um, what's interesting is I probably, like, I have Clemson as a slower than average team, but I, I, I don't think I, like, totals are not the, my primary focus in college football. And um, I've always done better on sides. And I feel like this year, maybe I'm going to, this offseason, I have some things I want to actually work on with that. But I think one of them is the fact that Clemson, their, their number of plays being um, lower than average is probably large due to a bunch of games where they were up big late. And, yeah. you know, I de-weight those. I de-weight that. But at the same time, there needs to be a you know, you change the baseline. Because if they're in a game, I think in a competitive game, things are going to look very different. Yeah, I wonder term, if you used like their first pace. half pace and like aggregated it out to – or parse it out to be full game if that would change your total much. But, that, I mean, you're definitely on the right track. There were so many games that – I mean, Lawrence wouldn't even be in the second halves. They'd run the ball, you know, twice as often as Norm. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's not enough to make up five points, you know, or four for your 63.9 to my 68. But, uh, yeah, I think there's something to that for sure, the way Clemson's kind of game scripts were generally throughout the season. Yeah, and, and luckily, I mean, I do de-weight that. So, like, you know, when it's 55 to 3, that's going to have all, like, that what happens there has very little predictive value. But I think I do need a better control for the, you know, to, um, for the time per play type thing. So, um, in terms of who I like on the side, um, I was actually surprised that Ohio State was not the favorite. Just, I don't know, based on perception and everything, um, I thought I, I was hoping I'd get some value on Clemson because I think Clemson's the better team. Um, yeah. But that wasn't the case. I made Clemson only a one-point favorite. I think they're for sure the dog if they played a month ago. And then yeah. Clemson just yeah. beat everybody by 60 for a month, and everyone's like, oh, okay, they're here now. And it just – people are like, okay, this is the team that Dabo has ready. They're going to be good. They're the best team in the country. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I was hoping that Clemson would be a dog, whoever they played, and just, yeah, no shot now. And you think they, they would have got – I think given what happened, they would have gotten in even if they had lost that ACC title game, I think. What do you think Ooh. over Oklahoma? Um, Given how they play, I don't know. I mean, I'm just the thought that's is given how question. good they are. I mean, you're the one that models like the committee or tries to. Like, yeah, that's a really tough one though, just because their schedule was so weak. That I'm of the so like my belief probably is that they would have treated Clemson like an Alabama to some degree, where they've been here before. We know that they're just really good. They're one of the top four teams in the country, even though they lost. Let's put them in. So I think I would side with yes, but could see it going either way. By the way, my model said no for what it's worth. Okay, but or, or it said it said no contingent on losing last week before knowing all the other dominoes that had fallen. All right, okay. I think Jeff, that's good for this week, guys. This was an hour and forty-five minute podcast. We still have to give out our NFL picks, though. We don't have to talk about a lot about them, but we we have to. This is this is part of the. You know, we can just take a few minutes and give out our NFL picks, can't we? Is, I think we can take. I have a call in four minutes. So. Okay, so let's let's take a few minutes and give out our NFL picks and. And cheating can have any if he wants. Picks quickly with us. Panthers plus seven, uh, Chargers minus six. Although that's not as available, but six and a halves are still good. Those are my two. This Charger, Chargers, what? Minus Chargers six minus and a half, six and, yeah. and Panthers plus seven. 
Do you, uh, you like Will Greer, huh? Love me some Will Greer. I haven't actually added him into the model yet. Um, I, I'm going to take um, Rams plus six. Is that I need to make sure that line is still the number that is available. Oh, Rams plus six and a half. What do you know? It's Christmas come early. So Rams plus six and a half, and I'm going to take the Jets plus three. Ah, I like uh, Jets. And, and the Bears plus five. I'm giving three picks because I'm chasing. Plus five and a half. Bears plus five and a half. Yes. I'm going to take the uh, Bengals at even, and I am actually going to take the Saints. Um, can I get two and a half there? Um, it's minus three yeah. plus six. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you the Asian handicap since you're Asian. No, it's like minus two and a half, minus one fifteen. I, I think I can take my five dimes. It's no, minus it's two and a half minus at one. Chris, at Chris. It's, Okay, it's minus no. Chris is minus three plus one hundred six. Right, and if you go and you do the drop okay, down, okay. it's minus three. It's minus two and a half minus one fifteen. Well, I haven't done that. So, okay, those are our picks, and I'll also give you one more. I'm going to take the Giants plus two and a half against the Redskins. Sorry, Rufus. Yeah, I, I lean your way. Okay. The Redskins suck. All right, okay, guys. guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. As always, uh, we'll talk to you guys in a week. Thanks for joining us, uh, Cheetah. Yep. Take it easy, guys. Analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded. 